Name, please? David Addison. Madeline Hayes. I'm sorry, but you're not on the guest list. That's because we're not guests. We're looking for a man with a mole on his nose. Mole on his nose? A mole on his nose. What kind of clothes? What kind of clothes? What kind of clothes do you suppose? What kind of clothes do I suppose would be worn by a man with a mole on his nose? Who knows? Did I happen to mention that I bothered to disclose this man that we're seeking with a mole on his nose? I'm not sure of his clothes or anything else, except he's Chinese. A big clue by itself. How do you do that? Gotta read a lot of Dr. Seuss. I'm sorry to say, I'm sad to report, I haven't seen anyone at all of that sort. Not a man who's Chinese with a mole on his nose with some kind of clothes that you can't suppose. So. Get away from this door and get out of this place, or I'll have to hurt you. Put my foot in your face. Believe it or not, that's a scene from a detective show, and a screwball comedy, and a romantic drama, and a TV show where the performers regularly broke what's known as the fourth wall by looking right at the camera and talking to the audience. Someone In 66 episodes over five seasons, Moonlighting took the traditional detective show and gave it a good shaking up. It was what college professors call metatextual and what I call self-referential. Moonlighting was a show where the characters interacted with each other, but also with us. It's not new, Bob Hope and Bing Crosby did it in their road movies in the 1940s, but Moonlighting, to use an old expression, pushed the envelope. At the beginning, Moonlighting was one of the freshest, most audacious shows on TV. But it set a standard that was very tough to maintain, especially when egos got out of control behind the scenes. And if ever a show squeezed every single solitary drop of sexual tension between two characters, it was Moonlighting. By its final abbreviated season, the show had lost its audience and its buzz. And yet, even during its weakest episodes, Moonlighting had a stunning sense of what it was and what it could get away with. Today on The Potluck, we look at the lunacy and the legacy of Moonlighting. I'm starting to think that maybe we should do a potluck thing. Potluck, potluck. The potluck is going really great. A potluck. Seriously. Seriously. This is the Incredible Inman's Pop Culture Potluck. Thanks for coming to the Potluck. I'm David Inman. The first episode of Moonlighting was a two-hour pilot that aired on the ABC Sunday Night Movie in March 1985. Sybil Shepard played Maddie Hayes, a former model whose financial manager skipped town with her fortune. All she had left is a few businesses that he bought as tax write-offs. One is a detective agency. The receptionist, Agnes DePesto, talks in rhymes. Former detective agency, getting strange calls in the middle of the night, strange notes in your mailbox by dawn's early light. Tell us about it. Let us get involved. We'll find a perv and your problems will be solved. And the head detective at the agency is played by Bruce Willis. David Addison is a freewheeling, wise-cracking gumshoe who speaks fluent smirk. Okay, so my name is David Addison, and your name Maddie is Hayes. Maddie Hayes. And don't I know you? No, I don't think we've met. Now wait a second. Can't fool me. 
The eyes don't lie, not these babies, photographic. See something once, it's locked in there forever. Really? I didn't notice anything locked in there. No, no, change the subject. You're looking at a bloodhound. Once that's I'm all on well to something... Good, Mr. I'll Madison, get it, that's I'll not... get it. All right, you might have seen my picture somewhere. I knew it. No flies on you. Nope, there certainly aren't. Whatever that means. Now then, when I came... What are we talking, late 70s? Here's a little fuzzy for me, but I will bet the house that you were a Miss March. A Miss what? Miss March. A Playmate of the Month? What, about 1976? I can see the whole layout in my head. You like jazz. Your favorite movie was Jonathan Livingston Seagull. You wanted to help underprivileged kids. Am I right or am I right? I mean, I can see the whole layout in my head. And if you don't mind me saying so, you are even more beautiful now. Here, in my office, completely dressed, almost a decade later. Wow. So... Listen, bub. Knock that high school locker room grin off your face or I'll knock it off for you. I'm not Miss March, Miss May, or Miss anything else. For your information, I am Ms. Madeline Hayes, and I own this dump. Madeline Hayes? Madeline Hayes? You're Maddie Hayes? The Maddie Hayes? The Blue Moon Girl? Blue Moon Shampoo? Sure, Blue Moon Shampoo. The only shampoo with milk, honey, and a tablespoon, tablespoon of moon in every bottle. bottle. Sure, you're her? That's you? The girl in the bottle, the girl from the ads, the girl that was everywhere? I knew I'd seen you. God, I gotta tell you, I love you. I mean, I, I have always loved you. Really, truly, nothing personal. Moonlighting began with a guy named Glenn Gordon Karen. In the mid-1980s, he was in his early 30s. He wrote an episode of Taxi and an episode of Remington Steel, a light-hearted but slightly boring detective show that was to moonlighting as peanut butter was to pepperoni. Karen had a meeting with an ABC executive. ABC wants a new detective show, the executive said. How's about you write a pilot? Karen didn't want to write another detective show, but if he had to, then he wanted to model it on one of his favorite movies, the 1940 romantic comedy His Girl Friday, with Rosalind Russell and Cary Grant, directed by the great Howard Hawks. In that movie, which is a remake of the play The Front Page, Russell plays a newspaper reporter and Grant is her editor. They were also once married, but they've split up. Now Russell has convinced herself that she should leave the job she loves to marry a boring insurance salesman and become a housewife. Grant knows she won't be happy, and he has his own selfish reasons for wanting her to stay at the paper. Well, well. How long is it? How long is what? You know what? How long is it since we've seen each other? Oh, well, let's see. Uh, I spent six weeks in Reno, then Bermuda. Oh, about four months, I guess. Seems like yesterday to me. Maybe it was yesterday, Hildy. Been seeing me in your dreams? Oh, no, Mama doesn't dream about you anymore, Wally. You wouldn't know the old girl now. Ah, uh, yes, I would. I'd know you any time, any, any place. Anywhere. Ah, oh, you're repeating yourself, Walter. That's the speech you made the night you proposed. Yeah, I know that you still remember it. Of course, I remember it. If I didn't remember it, I wouldn't have divorced you. Yes, I wish you hadn't done that, Hildy. Done what? Divorce me. Makes a fellow lose all faith in himself. Gives him a... Almost gives him a feeling he wasn't wanted. Oh, now, look, Junior, that's what divorces are for. Nonsense. You've got an old-fashioned idea. Divorce is something that lasts forever, till death do us part. Why, divorce doesn't mean anything nowadays, Hildy. Just a few words mumbled over you by a judge. We've got something between us nothing can change. Oh, well, I suppose you're right in a way, Walter. Sure, I'm right. I am fond of you, you know. And a girl? I often wish you weren't such a stinker. 
Latin, I suppose. You must come up and meet my mother. She'd like then that. Then why on earth did you promise not to fight the divorce and do everything you possibly could to gum up the whole work? Well, I meant to let you go, Hildy, but you know how it is. You never miss the water till the well runs dry. Oh, a big, fat oh. lummox mm. like you hiring an aeroplane to write. Hildy, don't be hasty. Remember my dimple, Walter. Delayed our divorce 20 minutes while the judge went out to watch it. Well, I don't want to brag, but I still got the dimple and in the same place. Karen took the rhythm and the romance from His Girl Friday and put it in Moonlighting. At this point in her career, Sybil Shepherd had gone from supermodel to movie actress to has-been. In the mid-1970s, she and her boyfriend at the time, director Peter Bogdanovich, had made a string of unsuccessful films. Then they broke up and she moved back to her hometown of Memphis. In the early 1980s, Shepard came back to Hollywood and began doing TV, specifically a Western soap opera called The Yellow Rose. It didn't last long, but she began to get more work. And when Glenn Karen auditioned her for the role of Maddie, he was amazed to learn that Shepard could do comedy and talk really fast. Bruce Willis at this point was known mostly as a good bartender, he had appeared off-Broadway in the Sam Shepard play Fool for Love, and he got a role on an episode of Miami Vice, which just happened to air during a night shoot for the Moonlighting pilot. Everybody obligingly stopped to watch Willis on the show. Willis was cast as David after hundreds of actors were auditioned. Karen said he liked him because he never seemed intimidated by his beautiful famous co-star, and Shepard appreciated that too, at least at first. ABC liked the Moonlighting pilot and ordered a short first season, five episodes. The first episode premiered just two days after the pilot aired. The show wasn't a hit at first, but it did well enough that it was renewed for a second season. Then someone at ABC did a smart thing. They kept Moonlighting on the air all summer in the same Tuesday night time slot so people could discover it. As a result, when it returned in the fall, Moonlighting was welcomed by a much larger audience. And on the first episode of the second season, David and Maddie broke that fourth wall between them and the TV audience. Hi, I'm Madeline Hayes, and this is David Addison. Right. And we'd just like to take a minute or two before the show starts to welcome you back to another season of Moonlighting. That's right. That's wrong. Wait a I don't second. know why I'm what? here. I don't know what I'm doing here. You're here because we're welcoming people back to another season. Ha. You're here because the network wants us to welcome the viewers Double back. Ha. You're here because Lou told you we to do it. We can say it. We can say it. The network says tonight's show is too short. The network says every show has to be one hour long, not 59 minutes, not 61 minutes, Fine, 60 minutes long, and we're a minute short. Great, now the whole world knows. Mr. Thermopolis, and do you know Mr. why Ehrlich, we're a minute short? Karen, get my because agent on the phone, fast. please. Not you because I'm talking with this, because Maybe you're talking when I'm talking. That's it, I've had That's it. it. If, if the, the producers, producers want to welcome the viewers back, back they can do it themselves. Cut. How's that? Sorry, Sybil. Sorry, Bruce. Too short. Too short? And you know why, don't you? Don't even think about blaming so much. It's not because I'm talking too fast, because you're talking Start when the I'm show. talking. Start the show? Start the show. The second season of Moonlighting contained only 18 episodes. Now, this was at a time when most network shows produced anywhere from 24 to 30 episodes a season. But the show took longer to produce because of its verbally dense scripts 
and extra rehearsal time needed to get the timing right. Most shows finished an episode in a week or less. Moonlighting needed at least a week and a half per episode. Here's Glenn Gordon Karen. We would do, I want to say it was roughly 90 pages for a 44-minute episode, about twice what everybody else was doing in town. So we shot in a different way than everybody else. Um, and the shows look at If you look at them, part of, I think, part of the reason they have so much, um, so much narrative thrust is because of that. We're not constantly, the, the, the speed, the, the illusion of speed is not conveyed because there's fast cutting. The illusion of speed is conveyed because there's fast talking, fast movement, and the camera is, you know, following them and being, or being pushed back by them. Um, and it was a sort of Hawksian sort of approach to it. I wasn't conscious of it early on, but the more I, and I was sort of illiterate, I wasn't all that literate about old movies. Interestingly, I mean, Bruce, Bruce introduced me to um, Preston Sturgis, who I wasn't familiar with. Sybil, obviously, you know, mentioned Howard Hawks, and um, I was familiar with the sort of the Marx Brothers and the Leo McCary of it all, but not the, you know, not the more, more eloquent and more classical stuff, you know. Turns out that each subsequent season of Moonlighting would contain even fewer episodes. But the makers were going for quality, not quantity. And when it was good, it was very, very good. There was, for instance, an episode partly shot in black and white called The Dream Sequence Always Rings Twice. And it had a special introduction by a good friend of Sybil Shepherd's, who would pass away just before the episode aired. Good evening. I'm Orson Welles. Tonight, broadcasting takes a giant leap backward. In this age of living color and stereophonic sound, the television show Moonlighting is daring to be different and share with you a monochromatic, monophonic hour of entertainment. Approximately 12 minutes into this evening's episode, the picture on your television screen will change to black and white. Nothing is wrong with your set. I repeat, nothing is wrong with your set. Tonight's episode is an experiment, one we hope you'll enjoy. So gather the kids, the dog, grandma, and lock them in another room. And sit back and enjoy this very special episode of Moonlighting. The dream sequence always rings twice is a tribute to film noir that centers around a murder from the 1940s. David and Maddie have their own feelings about the case, based upon their own prejudices, and each of them have a dream about it. In David's dream, Maddie is the murderer, and in Maddie's dream, vice versa. Here's a scene from David's dream. You were pretty hot tonight. You too. You got a great lip. You got two. Drink? Absolutely. Eat too. That night was the beginning. We would see more of each other than all of each other. But this is television, so we won't get into that. I always play my horn with my shirt off, late at night, by an open window, next to a flashing neon light. I know I look good that way. I was thinking about Rita. 
I wonder what she was doing and who she was doing it with. Just couldn't get that dame out of my mind. It's open. Wow. Could she make an entrance or what? She smelled of violets and rainy nights. What I didn't realize was she also smelled of trouble. TV Guide ranked The Dream Sequence Always Rings Twice as the 34th greatest episode of TV ever. And when the Directors Guild announced its annual award nominees for Excellence in Movies and TV in 1986, the director of this episode, Peter Warner, was nominated for Best Direction of a TV Comedy. The Guild also announced the director of another episode, Will McKenzie, was nominated for Best Direction of a TV Drama. For the first time in award history, one show had been nominated in both categories. But Moonlighting was just getting started. It did a Christmas episode where a man named Joseph is murdered and his wife, Mary, leaves her baby with the Blue Moon receptionist, Agnes DePesto, who has a meeting with the Three Kings, three FBI agents all named King. Of course, the episode ends with the cast breaking character to sing a Christmas carol to the audience. Then there was an episode where Maddie's parents visit. Her mother suspects her father is having an affair. Maddie poo-poos the idea, but David follows her father and learns the truth. He is. David breaks the news to Maddie. Nine twenty, early day. I waited for you as long as I could. You miss me? Sure. Your name again? So? So? So say something. Well, I think your father is a really good guy, you know? What does that mean? It means I... I think your father's a good man. And what does that mean? It means what it means. Look me in the eye and tell me you followed my father all day. I did it, Maddie. And? I'm sorry. Finally, in the second season finale, Moonlighting was visited by one of the hottest names of the day, who specifically asked to be written into a script, Whoopi Goldberg. Remember, this is 1986. The episode ends with another metatextual moment where the characters come out of the Moonlighting soundstage and walk to their cars to leave for the summer. So? So? Have a nice summer. Have a nice summer. Well. Well. Hey, Maddie. David. What? 
Nah, never mind. It'll keep till the fall. Oh, well. If you think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, definitely. It'll keep till the fall. Okay. During the summer of 1986, two things happened. One is that Bruce Willis further raised his celebrity profile by becoming the spokesman for a quintessentially 1980s product. Hey, me fellas. Look here. Seagulls. The second thing was the Emmy Awards. When nominations were announced for the 1985-86 season, Moonlighting had racked up 16. But when the awards were presented, the show lost in all categories but one, for film editing on the dream sequence Always Rings Twice. Of course, that Emmy shutout gave the writers a great idea for a metatextual opening for the first show of the third season. The sequence opens with a title that says, Filmed Before the Emmy Awards. Hello, I'm Madeline Hayes. And I'm David Addison. And we'd like to take a moment and just welcome back... Excuse me. Hello? David, it's your mother. Mom! Hi, Mom! Oh, gosh, it's so great to hear your voice. Huh? No, babe, it's just hard to hear you with that iron lung working. So how you doing? You gonna make it? Only a week and a half till the Emmys. Of course we're gonna win 16 nominations. Mom, we can't lose. Mom, don't, don't be ridiculous. He's not gonna win. He won last year. They're not gonna give it to him again. Your doctor? Yeah, sure, put him on. Hi, Doc. Really? You think she's gonna be able to pull through with some encouragement? Oh, that's great. <sighs> Doc, Doc, don't worry about it. 16 nominations, kid. We can't lose. It's in the bag. At the end, we see another title, dedicated to the memory of Irma Addison, 1922 to 1986. There were only 15 episodes in the third season of Moonlighting. One of them, Big Man on Mulberry Street, featured a new song by Billy Joel and a dance number directed by Stanley Donnan, co-director of Singing in the Rain. Another episode was a homage to It's a Wonderful Life, with Maddie wondering what her life would be like without the agency and David. What are we doing here? Where are we going now? All in good time. We're not going to visit someone else, are we? I really don't want to visit anyone else. I'd really like this thing to wrap itself up. Wrap itself up? Absolutely. If this is a dream, let me wake up. If it's not, let's get to Tiny Tim's house already. I'll buy him a turkey. I'll give his dad a raise. Whatever it is you want me to do. What about David? What about David? You haven't said a word about him. Aren't you the least bit curious about what happened to David Addison? No. 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 I know what happened to David Addison. 
You do? Absolutely. Positively. Now, where was it you said we were going? Your house. My house? Your house. But my house doesn't have an elevator. One does what one can with what one has. I'm sorry, uh, you were saying? Was I? Am I having a party? You said you were certain you knew what happened to David Addison? David? I'll take it back. That man has never worked an honest day in his life. He couldn't work an honest day in his life. He's a derelict somewhere, lying in the gutter alone, trying to hustle the other derelicts out of their last sips of ripple. Have I redecorated? I still can't believe they're engaged. Well, it was bound to happen. Everybody was waiting for it to happen. For what to happen to you? I think she's one of the most beautiful women in the world. I'll never understand why they gave a model. No doubt about it. David Addison is the luckiest guy in the world. David? Albert? Is that it? Is that my fate? Do I marry David? You seem upset. I am upset. I am upset. That's awful. That's terrible. That's Cheryl Teagues. But the best episode of that season, and maybe the best episode of the series, was the one where Moonlighting met Taming of the Shrew. And now, on to matters of greater import, and to the reason for my visit to this fair city. To wit, a major plot point cometh. I come to wife it wealthily in Padua, and if wealthily, then happily, and if she hath no diseases, then healthily in Padua. Good sir, stay. Such unusual fortune that we meet here and now, and in such similar straits. A moment ago, what was it thou saying? And now, on to matters of... No, 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 after that. Didst I hear I come to wive it wealthily in Padua? Pray, sir, yea, sir, I dare say I did say. Yea, sir, you do say you did say? Yea, I say, but why do you bray? Do not gainsay what I say, that we may make headway. I foray this way, that I may be home ere midday. Hooray for this day, and the words that you say, and forgive my display, but I have something to say. Then without further delay, I say, fire away. If I were to tell thee that there lives in Padua such a woman as suits your needs, she be very wealthy and in dire need of a suitor, wouldst thou be interested? Wouldst? Does beareth beareth? Doth bees beeth? Saith what? Hell yes! The episode was titled Atomic Shakespeare. David was Petruchio, of course. On the show, he drove a BMW, and in this episode, he enters with a pack mule carrying saddlebags with the BMW emblem. Maddie is Kate, the contrary sister who must be wooed by Petruchio. Come in. You may, if it matters not to you what cometh of your head. It matters not, as being here proves I've lost it already. And it matters not as well, as a man without a head is merely redundant. Good lady, allow me to enter. I merely come to tune your instrument. My instrument is already tuned. As is mine, and ready to play. Then off with you to play it solo, as you won't be coming in. Good morrow, Kate. 
for that is your name, I hear. I am called Katerina by those who dare to speak to me. Nay, you'll always be Kate to me. Plain Kate and Bonnie Kate and sometimes Kate the Cursed. But Kate, the prettiest Kate, my super dainty Kate. Kate, Kate, Bobe, Banana, Fana, Fofe, Fee, Fam, Mome, Kate. What purpose bringeth you? Who are you? Certainly no singer, nor the piano tuner you claimeth to be. You see through me, Kate. No tuner I. Though I wish it were amongst my talents to play piano for you. Tis a sad state indeed. You're the only man I know who suffereth from pianist envy. Perhaps you'll listen to this. Get out now while you still have that which you hold dear. Have you not guessed? Tis you I wish to hold dear. Hearing thy virtue spoke of, thy beauty, thy mildness praised, myself and moved to. Woe thee for my wife. Your wife? Thou catchest on quickly. Glenn Karen had regularly told interviewers that the entire Moonlighting series was a form of Taming of the Shrew. And behind the scenes, Sybil Shepherd began to resent her character being portrayed as a shrill feminist. There were shouting matches between the two of them. Someone on the crew wrote Sybil Zilla under one of Shepard's glossy photos. A tabloid reported that Shepard threw a chair at Karen and missed. Shepard replied, you can be sure that if I'd thrown a chair, I wouldn't miss. Here's Glenn Karen. I don't think she was a terribly happy woman at that moment in her life, and that was, that was a big part of you know what the problem was. But she certainly had a sense of humor. I mean, um, I don't think early on she understood the show or her role in it. I think once she started getting the positive feedback, that changed to some extent. But then at a certain point, I think, again, her 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 sadness at that moment, the thing, other things going on in her life, and people don't understand television is exhausting. Unlike doing a movie, a movie is a two-hour experience usually. On average, a movie takes somewhere between 50 and 60 days to shoot. There are certainly much longer schedules, and there are some movies that are made in 30 days, but it, it's a much more casual experience. A television show, in seven or eight days, you try and make a 45-minute movie, it, and it's relentless. Because once you're done with one, you move to the next. Um, Bruce used to say to me, how long are they going to make us do this? And I'd say, they're going to make us do it till it sucks. Um, and that's the, the sad reality of television. By the end of the third season, the romantic tension between Maddie and David had been simmering for two years. And as the season came to a climax, so did they, only to be visited by an old flame from Maddie's past, a guy named Sam Crawford, who was played by Mark Harmon. The episode gave the show its highest rating ever, but the consummation of David and Maddie's relationship was the beginning of the end for Moonlighting. Alas, a show that lives on romantic tension can begin to die when that tension goes away. There were also almonds behind the scenes. Late in the third season, Sybil Shepard found out that she was pregnant with twins. The decision was made to make Maddie pregnant as well, but Shepard was also ordered to seriously reduce her work schedule, which led to a series of episodes where Maddie went home to Chicago and Shepard appeared only in short inserts. To help fill the gap, another character was emphasized, scruffy detective Bert Viola, played by Curtis Armstrong, who also carried on a romance with Agnes DePesto. 
When Maddie finally left Chicago to return to L.A., she took a train and met a guy on board, Walter Bishop, played by Dennis Dugan. The two of them hit it off, and when the train stopped at Las Vegas, they impulsively got married. By now, Moonlighting was getting caught up in relationship drama instead of romantic comedy, and audiences were getting a little weary with David and Maddie's bickering. They were also getting impatient with the huge gaps, sometimes months, between new episodes. Meanwhile, Bruce Willis was becoming a big movie star. He made two films with director Blake Edwards, the same guy who did the Pink Panther movies and Ten, and when the producer of Die Hard offered Willis a record $5 million to play John McClane, fighter of terrorists in a high-rise, he grabbed it. The movie was a hit, and Willis started to get antsy about being tied to Moonlighting. The fifth and final season of Moonlighting had only 13 episodes. Maybe that's an omen. The first episode of that season was one of the show's most bizarre, We knew by now that David was the father of Maddie's baby, and a fantasy played out where Bruce Willis, with a blue bow tied into his thinning hair, played the unborn child of Maddie and David. The guardian angel tried to show him how great his life would be, but after he sees David and Maddie bickering, he gets second thoughts. Baby Hayes. Something the matter. Did the noise scare you? Baby Hayes, I can tell something's bothering you. Tell me what's wrong. That's what divine emissaries are for. Well, don't take this the wrong way, but I don't think I like my parents. Oh, come now, you don't mean that. Yes, I do. I just don't like them. Well, that's a shame, because they're both going to be sensational parents. Really? I know. I've seen some of the future episodes. Well, I don't care. I just don't like them. Well, that's ridiculous. Do you know how many babies would give the diaper off their bum to have Maddie and David for parents? It's the fighting, isn't it? But, baby, that wasn't a fight. That was them. That's what Maddie and David do, what they've always done. That was a fight. No. The episode ends with Maddie miscarrying. And before you knew it, Moonlighting was back to trying to bring back the romantic tension by introducing yet another character, Maddie's cousin Annie, played by Virginia Madsen. But by this point, America had Moonlighting fatigue. The show disappeared from the ABC schedule for two months, and it returned on a Sunday so the network could burn off the five remaining episodes. On May 14, 1989, Moonlighting came to an end in a typically Moonlighting way. Maddie and David arrive at the detective agency to find it being torn apart by ABC. They leave the soundstage in search of a network executive who ends up telling them what most of America was thinking at the time. I don't have time to explain it to you now, but in six minutes and 14 seconds, we will cease to exist as television characters. Well, where's our furniture? What's happening to our view? 
Where's Red taking our view? Well, now there's no need to get your drawers in a bunch. Wait a minute. Drawers? An underwear joke? I made an underwear joke and we're still here. There may be time yet. Come on. I tried to think of a word to rhyme with cabbage, and the only thing I could think of was basement. I can't rhyme anymore. Agnes, I think there's something you should know. What? That the two of you couldn't figure out your nitwit relationship, so they're giving the rest of us the heave-ho along with you? You heard, huh? Yeah, I heard. If there's a god in heaven, he'll spin Herbert and me off in our own series. What is happening? Uh, all right, we still have a little bit of time left. Let's think. There must be someone who can help us. Yeah, but who? Wait a minute, say that again. You mean... That's it, Sai. Sai will know what to do. Come on. Get out. Sai, what do you mean, get out? Get out! But you're our last who? Sai, you're one of the biggest producers in the business. Come on. Hey, even I can't get people to tune in to watch what they don't want to watch anymore. Don't get me wrong. I love you two, kid. But can you really blame the audience? A case of Poison Ivy's more fun than watching you two lately. Ah, what are you talking about? What about all the laughs we had? Yeah. People don't want laughs, David. They want romance. Romance? And romance is a very fragile thing. Once it's over, it's over. And I'm afraid for you, too. It's over. But it's not over. David and I are still friends. Yeah, we're buddies. Oh, goody. That's exactly what America wants to see. David and Maddie, friends. People fell in love with you two kids falling in love. You couldn't keep falling forever. Sooner or later, you had to land someplace. People cared about you two because you cared about each other. Even when you didn't want to care, you still cared. You couldn't not care. You cared until you couldn't care any longer. What do you say? Something about caring. You two were a great love story. Well, we can't just vanish into thin air. What'll they do without us? Well, don't worry about them. They'll be fine. What's going to happen to us? You know, I could be wrong. But remember what I said. Romance is a very fragile thing. Sybil Shepard went from moonlighting to her own sitcom called Sybil, which ran on CBS in the 1990s. Then she went home to Memphis. Glenn Gordon Karen went on to create the TV series Medium with Patricia Arquette as a psychic detective. The show ran for six seasons and Arquette won an Emmy Award. Now Karen is executive producer of the CBS series Bull. As for Bruce Willis, not really sure what happened to that guy. Baby, 
The Incredible Inman's Pop Culture Potluck is written, researched, and narrated by me, David Inman. Thanks for listening. If you listen to us on iTunes, please consider subscribing to the show and also rating us. That helps other people find us. You can also find episodes on the Incredible Inman Facebook page or at IncredibleInman.com on the podcast page. See you later.